Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Chris Cottonor, executive producer of The Secret Life of Cookies and Deep State Radio. If you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to subscribe to it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The podcast will continue to be available in the Deep State Radio feed for the next several weeks. Thank you and enjoy the show. Welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. I'm Marissa Rothkoff, the host of The Secret Life of Cookies. Welcome to our third episode. For those of you who haven't yet met me, I'm a professional food writer who has done everything from restaurant reviews for the New York Times to writing a column on kitchen gadgets for Newsweek. I also teach journalism at Montclair State College here in New Jersey. I'm researching a book on the history of the American kitchen because I think that there's no better place to tell the story of this country than in the place where, let's face it, everything happens. Remember in the olden days when you had parties in your house? Where did your guests all end up? Yep, the kitchen. At The Secret Life of Cookies, we want to bring you into the kitchen for conversation and, of course, baked goods. This week, I was joined by the exuberant, ebullient, and all-around incredible E. Jean Carroll. I tried to recreate her favorite childhood birthday cake, and we talked and we shouted about her lawsuit against the former, love that word, former president, the secret of advice columns, and how not to be sorry about never saying sorry again. Thank you for joining us in the kitchen, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. I'll be back at the end of the episode to let you know more about the recipe we were working on. Miss E. Jean Carroll, it is a true pleasure to welcome you to my kitchen once again. Marissa! (laughs) So glad to be here! And I love your new kitchen. This is a new Thank you. For all who didn't know my kitchen before, it was a very cold, dank place. And now it is a bright and happy place where I can make I delicious treats. Your kitchen. I particularly remember you pouring Prosecco and your husband getting a bottle of King George's Ginger King. What was it, King Edward? King's Ginger. Which King's is Ginger! <laughs> the two of you put that together. You had created it? Yeah. yeah, you we made had, up a cocktail right in front of me. And so I, I have, have to say, warm memories of that kitchen of yours. <laughs> and this is spectacular. I think um, I, I haven't had a Prosecco with the King's Ginger and I recommend it to anybody listening. In fact, maybe we should give everybody 30 seconds to go pour themselves one. <laughs> should, should I go get the bottle? The bottle is beautiful. <laughs> you know, I read when I went home the next week, I went, I bought a bottle of King's Ginger. It's so good. It is. It's absolutely delicious. And it can be used so many different ways too. And it's, but with Prosecco or a little bit of gin and some King's Ginger. Oh, love it. <laughs> I'm going to have to go get some while we're talking. <laughs> Let's not mess around, right? Yeah, exactly. But I'm, it's, it's so nice to have you here. Um, Thank you. This idea for this podcast, as you know, and maybe people who are tuning in now don't know, or maybe they do know, the kitchen to me is the best place to talk 
right? And so I decided that I would like to be caking and baking and doing things and talking to you about food and then and the world because all the best conversations tend to happen in the kitchen and the best they cocktails do. as well and the best cocktails. You know, Marissa, you're right. They do. Uh, people <clears throat> let down their hair for some reason. It's not good to let down your hair, no. <laughs> but <laughs> that's where that really is where you reveal you reveal yourself more in the kitchen than you do in the drawing room or the backyard. Or the, the kitchen is it for some reason. I don't know. The kitchen and also the car, because I think part of it has to do with like maybe our animal instinct that when I look you in the eye, it's a bit threatening. But if I'm like futzing around with my cake, oh, I can ask you anything. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Maybe that's it. I mean, if you ever want to have an intense conversation with like your child, say uh, car is the best place. Yeah. Well, that's good. And the kitchen. I love, I yeah. love your kitchen. And what am I uh, seeing there? What are those? What, what's in front of you? What is that? Well, you, I mean, with all due respect, um, are openly not a cooker, as we say. No, I don't even have a stove. <laughs> I have no stove. I, have, I barely have a kitchen. No, no. You know what's in my kitchen? Books. Books. Books are in my kitchen. <laughs> you know. Magazines. Yeah. Or the, my, like my neighbor in New York who kept um, sweaters in her oven. So, and, yeah. So I kitchen. used to. Yeah. And she never had food in her house. And at one point, uh, Con Edison showed up to say, ma'am, we're worried about you. You've never used the gas in your apartment. We want to make sure everything's okay. Uh, before I got rid of everything that I could cook with in my kitchen, um, I kept my sweaters, I kept matches, I kept extra supplies in the, in the oven. And my sister and my sister Barbie and my niece Lauren arrived one day uh, on my birthday <laughs> to make me a cake. <laughs> so they turned on the oven. Oh, they didn't oh. open. <laughs> they turned on the oven to get preheat the oven to get the oven ready for the cake that they were going to bake. And that's where I kept matches. That's where I kept candles and my good sweaters. What happened? We smelled it. Oh, God. You know, you the of wool burning is very. And we got there before the thing exploded. <laughs> Did you go out for ice cream? I mean, <laughs> at that point. <laughs> it's all, you, know, you wouldn't guess that somebody would keep <laughs> matches. Well, if you if not somebody from, I mean, a New Yorker might look first. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, but maybe matches and candles in the oven, a little iffy. Okay. Like, where's your propane? Oh, I keep it stored in the oven. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Along with the kerosene. Um, but speaking of birthday cakes, we decided, I, you and I talked and we, you wanted to kind of, I decided I would help you create a childhood memory here yes. and bake the cake that your mom used to make. Yes. What was it? Yes. It was a white uh, cake. One of the great taste sensations of my entire life. And I'm 77, <laughs> 77 years was a birthday cake my mother made for me when I turned six. Ugh. It was so beautiful to look at, you know, and it was a white cake with two layers yeah. with a white frosting. 
Mm. Never had anything taste like that. It was shockingly good. It just, just so good. And I've been on the hunt for that taste ever since. Okay, well, I'm gonna make this cake, put it in the freezer and then, because I can't come see you this weekend and then I will deliver it to you and we can see. Uh, um, oh, oh, please, we'll sit outside, we'll have this. Oh, so you made the white cake already. I made the white cake already. Sorry about the foil here. Tell me, uh, tell me about the white cake. The white cake, funny, white cakes are quite interesting because white cakes were originally made and I'm gonna stick a little bit of icing down on the, um, cardboard so that the layer sticks see oh how um, interesting that's interesting yep and you turn it upside down so you get the flat part the bottom Wait a you put icing on the bottom yeah like glue oh and it it sticks it to the thing the cardboard because it's like a bake I, I bake like i'm in a bakery and i got those cardboards you bake on a piece of cardboard no no i just put the baked cake on top of the cardboard oh you put the bake oh Right. Oh, the cake is baked, right. Okay. Cake is baked. So I made this cake. White cakes are, I did a little digging into white cakes. I also, you grew up in Indiana, right? Right. And I started looking through because they're all online. Thank you, archivists. All like local community cookbooks from Indiana are available online. So I could find the Presbyterian church lady's best no, white cake. I could. My mother was Presbyterian. I'm, Get the hell out of here. It, this is this is the cake. So a lot of these cakes use shortening to make sure that it stayed pretty white. And they all use just egg whites. But in the, so, because if you put what? the yolk in. You're kidding. If you, you put the yolk in, it turns into a yellow cake. Not like uranium yellow cake. It turns into just cake cake. Um, so it has a, a, a light texture. So this, this feels a little dense. Um, White cakes were originally used to show off, and I'm sure this is why your mother made it for you, to show off your family's wealth. Oh. You, because you would be baking, like if you baked wedding cake in like the late 19th century, right. you were able to afford refined sugar. Oh, yes. Nowadays, unrefined sugar is the expensive one. Yeah, yeah, that's Yes, the turnabout. Because oh, humans, humans are weird and fickle, as we may go on to discover in the rest of our conversation today. Wow. Well, the, the whole thing about the egg whites and not egg yolks in a white cake. Yeah, because that's what makes it white. Okay, now, what are you doing, Marissa? Right now, I'm spreading the frosting, which is a vanilla frosting. Yeah. Um, with a little bit of coconut flavoring in it, because you said that's what your dream, your thought was, a little bit of coconut flavoring. Right. And this is one of those um, sweet, but not sickly, so it's butter. It's confectioner sugar. And then I added heavy cream to it to kind of tone down the, sometimes confectioner Wait a minute, start over. Okay. Butter. Let me tell me about, tell me about this icing. Yeah. What, what did you make it in? I made it in my KitchenAid stand mixer but you can make it with a hand mixer. Okay, so, and you put it, what, what is that? This is icing, so it's butter and sugar and not a dog hair, I thought it was a dog hair. Butter <laughs> and sugar and um, heavy cream. Oh my God, does that sound good. And vanilla flavoring and a little bit of coconut flavor. Ooh, yum, okay. And I'm keeping this absolutely naked for you, as it were, but. Yeah. 
You could also put a layer of lemon curd in here. You could put a layer of raspberry jam in there. Are you a little bit of adulterating the world's most perfect cake? I am not. Raspberry. I'm not screwing around with your childhood memory. I wouldn't do that. That wouldn't be fair. That'd be like giving me Kraft mac and cheese instead of Velveeta. We don't do that. Your memory is your memory. Oh, remember Velveeta? I could show you some right now. I have it in my refrigerator. Do you really? Of course, you have two kids. I have two kids. And Oliver, my son's favorite, loves Velveeta. Well, of course, it's so good. It makes the best cheese toasties, right? Exactly. Uh, let me ask you a question. So there was some news this week, uh, big news week, reasonable. How are you feeling? Mood change? You know, um, I don't recover quickly. Uh, you know, I'm always in a good mood. That's basically it. But I'm always, uh, always in a good mood. But um, I'm still a little numb from Trump. I don't think that goes, I, I, you're not, I mean, you come with your own personal experiences and trauma from him on, on many levels. Those of us without a direct relationship with him, I've talked to many people and we all sort of feel like it's like we're learning to stretch our muscles again. It's like, you know, that feeling of chicken little, like the sky, yeah, yeah. we're kind of recovering from that position. I think part of the recovery is that we don't want to lose the pleasure of hatred. Really and you and I are on Twitter quite a bit. And I noticed that Twitter is a little bit off schedule because we, we had the thrill of hatred. The thrill of hatred. It was so much fun hating that guy. Now we have to find new pleasures because the pleasure of hatred is over. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. Um, and I it creates a that void, that kind of focus of all the void. Mm -hmm. the people don't talk, they don't admit the pleasures of hatred. No, but I noticed that I would be much more, I was much quicker, and maybe you noticed this too, in my outside dealings, like pre-COVID, that I had so much anger that I was much quicker to snap about something. Yeah, yeah because it was so close to the surface because of my intense feelings about Trump. I don't know if it, that was the same way for you, but it, it was very close to the surface. Uh, well, you're a happier person. I think, we're, I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna take all this uh, uh, voluminous uh, uh, hatred that we have. And now I notice it's channeling towards good. It's channeling to helping loosen uh, the stronghold of the conspiracy theories. And now we have to do our, our part, Marissa, in helping those people understand that those things are not true. And, and how does that happen? That's one of the great, my great questions. How do we get people to understand that? I mean, so for some people, it's how it's, you know, it's their, it's their bundle of hatred, those conspiracy theories, and it keeps them going. Well, how do you talk to, uh, it's, you know, we, I don't want to uh, offend your listeners, but <clears throat> uh, yeah, you have to deal, um, they're like in a cult, 
I mean, but I mean, I don't even have to pick on religion. I think they're cults around nutrition. I think they're cults. Oh my God! They're oh the fanatics around nutrition. They're, you you want to believe people? I think are don't have the same belief systems maybe that they used to as much, and we are in the end just humble little humans, and we need something to sort of hang our hats on. And so having structure that we're all toddlers basically and we need rules um you're right have you been around a person who won't who's so got so many good rules about what and what not to eat yes that if you put a dish that has been made with milk that is not organic they won't touch it yeah or people who talk about clean eating what you know, like, what do you mean clean eating? It's, it's just, that's just bullshit. Yeah. We all need, we all need something to hold on to. So in the middle of the night, when we're really scared, the boogeyman thing, I always feel has never gone away. You know, whether it was my brother's leaving the closet door open and going, Marissa, man's <laughs> in there and then leaving still me to this day. But I, I don't think as humans, we've gotten rid of that fear. So now it's, they're coming to take my guns. The vegetables are going to poison me. The, I have to do this in order to make this happen. You know, it's all. No, I, I, I agree. I, <laughs> and I, let me just point out to anybody out there who's laughing and pointing at me. I'm no different. I got my, you know, I have the things I have to do. Oh, wait. Okay. What is your rule? Oh man, that cake is looking good. Now, what is your number one rule about food? What's, what, what won't you let in the house? Uh, I don't have rules like about food because I feel wow. that um, if when you create those restrictions, people s suddenly want them more than anything. Oh right? boy, is that true? Right, I, I think it was Ed Helms told the story, the comedian Ed Helms told the story of not being able to have sugar cereals as a kid, yeah. going over to his friend's house and the mother calling his mother and saying, is your son okay? He's just like, you know, eating 28 boxes of sugar yeah. crisps, sugar craps. Um, that's true, you want what you can't have. Right. That's exactly, that's true in love and looking for, looking for a certain type of person to fall in love with, you want what you can't have. It's certainly true. Who was the great philosopher who was in the concentration camps and wrote the German philosopher? Uh, come on, he was a therapist. Uh, oh. oh, come on, we all know who I'm talking about. He, he, he wrote about that because in the concentration camps, they were deprived of everything. Right. The will, they wanted what they couldn't have, and that list was long, but it, it's true in all of our lives about right. You know, if I tell myself I can't have a Mars bar, I'm going to think about Mars bars for two weeks until I get one, right? Right. Or I mean, three or five, right? If I think about, if I say to myself, you can't have any cookies this week, all I want is a cookie. Exactly. If you, me, if you let me have the one cookie, I'll be okay. Yeah, just give me the or the two cookies. Well, okay, it was three cookies, but that's neither here nor there. Okay, three cookies. And you know, <laughs> I, I can't, uh, if somebody gives me an Oreo, only vanilla oils, not the black and white ones. I've got to have the golden, the white, the golden, um, with a glass of milk. I will go through. I can do the. I can do the box in a day. <laughs> I can do the box in a day. Throughout the day, not in one sitting, but throughout the day. 
because it's so good. You see the kind of deep admissions people give up on my podcast. That's like deep, dark secrets are coming to the fore here. You know what? I had never felt so comfortable. (laughs) And you know, also it's because you're lathering that cake with that icing so beautifully. I am really lathering it. It is a quite a beautiful, it's an almost ivory colored um, icing. Let me ask you a question about um, a long time ago, like in 2019, you um, made um, uh, wrote an article that was published in the New Yorker, the New York Magazine that brought to light some allegations about, here's a word I like, former president. Um, Ooh, yeah. Nice saying it, former. We could just say former, former president. Um, and that day I read that his law firms are dropping him like hotcakes. He's going to be unable to even scare up enough attorneys to defend him. I hear, I hear that trial. Lindsey, Lindsey Graham has found him a nice South Carolinian. Oh, really? Yeah. Today. Has he? Yeah. Lindsey Graham? Is going to defend him in court in the Senate? Well, not Lindsey Graham, but this uh, Lindsey Graham found uh, some uh, a big law firm in South Carolina. He has. You're way ahead of me. So for the Senate trial, they're going to be ready on Monday. He's going to have a lawyer. <laughs> that I don't know. <laughs> wow. But um, the article that you put that brought everything to light about the sexual assault allegations. You also wrote another article that I thought was a really interesting insight into women and sexual assault and just the human response to it, which was the, the pieces that you did in the Atlantic. Right. Where you talked to, was it six different women? Six different women. And each one of them had a different response to... Um, yeah. Why? How? Like, well, that, those pieces I did the six profiles of six women who uh, uh, accused Donald Trump of uh, assault. And because uh, reading anything about women who've been assaulted by Donald Trump, you're not getting the story. Mm-hmm. Because in the blue check media, the lawyers will not let it be printed. But really, you know, it's not. But the Atlantic signed on to this. They said, all right, you're going to write this. And they had lawyers all over it. But yeah. they let the women talk. I mean, what does it mean? Groping. I wanted to know, what is groping? Nobody's ever said, they say groping, groping. What is that? Well, right. I found out from Kristen Anderson, who was 22 in that nightclub. He reached up her skirt put his finger onto her vagina, pinched it, twisted it like a rubber duck. That's what groping is. See, I didn't, look, I wish the listeners could see you. You're shaking. Yeah, you're like shaking. It, it, you're shivering. It, it's disgusting, but you don't really know what Trump really did to these women until you find out in detail. And then, yeah. It was like nothing to him. That's just what he did. It's, it, it, it's that he would think he could do that to a beautiful young woman sitting there. And she didn't even, she, she was facing in this direction. He was facing the opposite direction. They were sitting on a couch. She immediately stood up and walked away. Only then did she turn and see these eyebrows. 
and realize who it was because he was a well-known New York personality. And, uh, you know, it, it's astonishing that he thought he could do that. To well, and he did it over and over and over and over. And as you, I listened to these women, the, uh, with Karen of Virginia, she was at the U.S. Tennis Open. She's very tall, very elegant, very beautiful. He one of these buddies, and he says to them, she, loud enough for her, hey, I haven't seen her before. And he comes right over to her, puts his hand, slides it between her arm and her breast, and joggles her breast. And why would he do that? He didn't know her. He's showing off for his friends. You know, it's just, why would he do that to a strength? To a, it's just, and the, anyway, we voted for him. Uh, and I think the stories, uh, when they came out in 2016, I wrote mine right before uh, in 2020. In 2016, I think it increased his votes. I think people like to hear that a man can do that to any woman he wants. He's king, he is God, he can grab, feel up, rape any woman he cares to. And I think the white men particularly voted, voted for him because of that. I can't prove it, uh, but I think, well, I think I've been, I think I do have proof, I, you know, because he was voted for president and those stories all came out. Um, so it's amazing, he is a, he is, um, he has no compunction about stepping on, misusing, manhandling, trampling women. It's just, it was just incredible that he was president for four years. Just incredible that so he could do that. There, there are two, like, you know, especially right now, you know, at the same time we have, you know, pink pussy hats and the Me Too, yeah. hashtag Me Too. And there's been a, a much more awareness in that way that, you know, we have, that we brought to the issue of women's rights. But at the same time, it, there's this incongruous balance that you're talking about, which is one, millions and millions of people voted for him ignoring this, maybe because, you know, and then you're balancing, maybe because they have some sort of like, makes him look powerful. And at the That's same time- That's what it is. It's atomistic. Maybe it's not so incongruous. At the same time, women spend all their time, if they, you know, blaming themselves. It was my fault. I, sh you know? Well, part of that is the media's fault because the lawyers won't let the real stories run. And why, why won't they let the real stories run? Because, because there's a big dichotomy in American journalism. There are female stories and there are male stories. Female stories get overchecked by lawyers, I promise you. That's what happens. Female stories, stories, well, you know this, Marissa. Well, maybe you don't because nobody really got the real stories about what happened to these women because they couldn't, the blue That's check journalism right. wouldn't let it do it. The Atlantic took a flyer and they did not allow certain things, I gotta say. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so, but, we got most of it through. Okay. There's just a it's just the double standard of female stories and male stories drives me crazy. 
we should be able to tell our stories. We should be able to tell our stories. But oh, oh, it's a little, it's oh, it's about he's a powerful man and she's a nobody. You know, and that's the problem. He's a powerful man, she's a nobody, and it's sexual. Ah. But so sex is the woman's domain. Sex is a woman's domain. That's a woman's story. Anything about sex is a woman's story. That also drives me crazy. So for him, it's power, and for her, it's a sex story. And it's the That's same story. That's right. That is right. And that starts right where David, your brother, is writing with all these policies. He gets to print pretty much anything he wants because it's about male power and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And I'm sure lawyers, well, he's a lawyer. But I'm sure no, my brother's my he's not a lawyer. And my brother, I have to say, he's not a lawyer. No, he belongs in the honorary woman catalog category. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He is a bit, he's a true champion for women. He was the first he was the person when he worked at um, his last job who insisted that they have equal numbers of women writing for the publication. As I love your brother. And uh, his wife is very, very lucky. Won't appear on panels or things like that uh, if if he's if it's only men, because right, he's a champ. Well, and he's influential. He's an influential thinker. You, I, what I did do was go back and look into your uh, earlier articles that you've written, and it ju they just made me laugh and just made me oh, want to access all the archives and read them because. Thank you. You wrote an article for Esquire where you visited all your old boyfriends. Oh, heaven. T tell me about one, how you got the idea. And two, what was the experience? Oh, wouldn't you love to go back and visit your old boyfriends? <laughs> I'm oh, living with one of them. Oh, that's my husband. Go on. Yeah. Wait a minute. No, really? I've known him forever. I didn't know that. He's a very handsome man. Uh, Quite tall, and not you're you got a great husband. Uh, <laughs> he gets to be an honorary woman, too. He does. I gotta say, you're surrounded with pretty good guys, including your son. Wouldn't have it any other way. So, I got that when I went back to do uh, you know, starting out in grade school, um, through an ex husband, I even ate the food that I ate at the time. When I was doing the uh, you know, the grade school boyfriend, I ate you know. When I did the high school boyfriend, I did, ate the high school food. I'm very into that kind of food is so much a part of the era that we live in. Like when you were a teenager, mm -hmm. do you remember where you and your crowd hung out and what you ate? Sure. The, the, the diner in Maplewood. The, the diner in Maplewood. And yeah. what would you have? I probably grilled cheese. Yes. See, it, that's just. And so. Uh, with one of them, I just moved into the house. Uh, Tom Van Arsdale, the famous uh, uh, Tom and Dick Van Arsdale were uh, Indiana University basketball stars. And they went on to have long, long uh, pro careers in, with the Suns and the Pistons and the Knicks, the Knicks. Um, so I and he married uh, one of the wealthiest women in America who turned out to be great. Um, I just moved into their house. Her, their guest room was bigger than my whole place, including my yard, you know. And she was so nice. But about the fourth or fifth day, she's saying she couldn't believe I was not leaving. I was, I was having so much fun being with Tom. I was having so much fun. Um, so it, it was, I had a great time. 
But the women who were attached to the men that I was now visiting, they were not down with this at all. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's fun to go back in your past. Um, what yeah. kind of hostess gift do you bring? What? Yeah. Oh, I didn't bring gifts. Why should I? I'm visiting my old boyfriend. What do you mean a hostess gift? Please. Because the picture in Esquire is of you sitting on the floor. Yeah. Tom, is it Tom Van Arsdale? Yeah. Standing there. Exactly. And his, his wife with her foot on your head. Well, I, she was so sick of it. Oh, I can't tell. What, you, what would you do? This woman's running around your house. You know, it's just, it was, oh, I loved it. I think I, I, I suggest everybody should do that. You bring, brought up a lot of feelings. I think everyone who's listening now should pause for a moment and just try and picture what it would be like to go uh, for three or four days with but, your ex-boyfriend's family, current family. Oh, see, and that's, and also I, I was still in love with my college boyfriend oh. when I visited him. Uh, which was strange because, you know, uh, he was an Olympic swimmer on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He came to pick me up at the airport. And here comes this big, big, huge, porpoise-sized guy waddling towards him. I couldn't believe it. You know what? I still loved him. I didn't care if he was fat as a pig. He looked great. You know, to me, he was, you know, he was Mike Troy. Uh, well, there you are. And what so, was it like spending time at his house? Well, I stayed in a hotel because he was single and I was not going to make the mistake of, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> no. We, we went out, we went shooting, you know, he was a, he was a seal. So we all had guns. We shot, we did all that. He's a fried brain Republican, you know, we shot. It was fabulous. I loved it. <laughs> you also, you had a, an advice column, uh, it, I heard, that um, for, oh, gosh, 27 years. And oh, yeah. our, I'm not going to dwell on the silliness of Elle magazine and their decision to. Um, I, not, get it, I get it. Yeah. But the new regime came in and they, and this old, who's this old regime? Yeah. I get it. They get to make new decisions. But over the, like the span of a generation, you saw, did the questions change that people sent no. you? No. How do I get a man? This is the number one question. I don't care what's going on. She could be, have a terrific career. She mm -hmm. could have everything. So how to get a man? And the second most popular question was how to get rid of a man. And did your advice change over time? Basically stayed the same. There's only, yes, there's only like three answers. Yes, do it, no, don't, that's it. And then, you know, advice column is really entertainment. You have to keep the reader at, engaged enough to get through it. It's, the questions are always fabulous. That's an advice column, it's not the answers. It's the man or the woman writing in with this horrible quandary. Right? Isn't that the fun of reading an advice column? Because that's the lurid part, isn't it? That's the drama or the comedy. Or, right. Yeah. And you're thinking, thank God I didn't do. That's not me. Thank God. Or you think, oh, my God, this is just like my cousin. I got to send her this. 
so it's the questions um, and it, that was fun. It's easy to write the answers because it's yes or no. That's it, you know. Or it just run, don't let the door. Yeah, run. Uh, <laughs> there are great advice songs. Um, Dan but Savage is brilliant. Philip mm -hmm. uh, Galanis in the Times is brilliant. And he doesn't use many words to get those answers out. He's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Cheryl Strayed, Ask Polly, Heather Haveroleski. There are some great advice albums out there. Great. You you also wrote for Saturday Night Live, which I had I am sad to say I had no idea, but now I do. And what was how for a year you won an Emmy? You I was nominated for an Emmy. Okay, well for me you won an Emmy. No, that's the same to me. It's the same. You were What's wrong. the difference between winning and being nominated? None. None. Um, no. And anyway, what would you do with that thing lying around your house anyway? There no, no, really. One I, more yeah. thing to dust. Um, do you, like, what, which, who did you enjoy working with? I mean, well, what, Al Franken. Loved Al Franken. Least pervy guy I ever knew. Al Franken is not, uh, you know what? That was not fair to have him taken down, Al. Yeah, Al Franken was great. Um, let me ask you just a few more questions. Uh, At some point, Chris is going to come in and go, you should stop talking. Um, you worked for Saturday Night Live. Is there like, if I wanted to go in and watch like memorable E. Jean sketches from Saturday Night Live, what, what would I go and look for? I couldn't, get, I couldn't get anything on the air. They hated, Lauren hated everything I wrote. It was a very female center. This is before Tina Fey got there. I did do one great thing with William Shatner. Uh, a man, like Oliver, without a shirt, getting dressed in front of the bathroom mirror and falling in love with himself as he got dressed. Every, I used to watch my ex-husband get dressed and just fall in love with himself. He plays Superman music and he'd put on the aftershave and he'd shave and he'd put on the deal and the Superman music. And so we did sort of that with William Shaffner and he killed it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I didn't get much on. They didn't like my point of view, Lauren did. It was the early days to, to having a woman's point of view. Yeah, and yeah, uh, uh, pre-Tina. Tina really changed things and she took a hold of that show. And Boom. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. She did good things on there. Yeah. You also, um, I mean, just the, the ideas for articles. I, I wish I were your editor. I could just say, yes, do that, do that, do that. Like Fran Leibowitz has just had a rebirth now. And oh my God. Do we worship every word that comes out of Fran Leibowitz's mouth? And so her new show is brilliant, but you took her camping the I most identified. Okay, tell me about what's it like to camp with Fran Leibowitz? Did she get out of the car? She got out of the car. She was game. She was game. We went up in the Pine Barrens. Where is that? New York or New Jersey? New Jersey. Jersey. Southern Jersey. Yeah. And it was, we arrived at dark. We cooked outside. We pitched the tent. We did it. After the meal, she raised her hand and said, check, please. <laughs> she did not like going number one or number two in the woods, but she was forced because we were not on an official, we were in the, we were not on a, a campsite. There were no, we were out with the bears mm -hmm. and we stayed awake and, you know, we, it was, she is 
so funny. And this is back in the day. Fran Leibowitz, she's, uh, you know, she was born in 1950, so she's now 70, whatever that is. And she was quite a hot little number back in the day. If you see early pictures of Fran, she was pretty cute. She was dating her brains out, you know. And yeah, we had a we had a ball. It was Fran, George Butler, uh-huh. the photographer who went along, who went, he's the one who made Pumping Iron, the movie that made Arnold Schwarzenegger. That made Schwarzenegger. Sure did, yeah. Uh, that's George. So he was along. And Fran made just incessant fun of it. Just incessant fun. It's just it, it, it was just to see Fran in that early larval stage, she hasn't changed one bit. The wit, the brain, I never saw anything like it. Have you seen the series yet? I, it's on my list. I'm gonna, I was actually going to watch it this weekend. Watch it this weekend. You will, you will be dying of happiness. It's just Scorsese is, you know, he just does it because he likes her. Because he already did one, now he's doing seven more. I, it's, uh, I get it. I get it. Marty knows that Marty, like I've ever met. But you know, it's they're, it's they're they're both so intensely New York that they're perfect for each other, right? You know, perfect, perfect. perfect. In, in the way back machine, you were on to tell the truth. Where the yes? How do you know this? I just I Wait, just, there's a film of it. I haven't seen that. I could look for I mean, it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen. Yeah. What, how did you get on to, to tell the truth? What's it like being on a game show? I was Miss Cheerleader USA. So they had, I was the one who was telling the truth. And you were, and did you have to wear your outfit on TV? I don't remember what we wore. The, the other two were great. They were very cheer. They, they act just like I do now. Ah, you, you know, <laughs> I've been screaming this whole time. <laughs> While you made the cake, I've been screaming and yelling. Do you know? Go yeah, so go team cake. Marissa, you were not a cheerleader, were you? <laughs> um, no. What I'm, group in high school were you in? Where did you eat? What cafeteria? What table at the cafeteria? Theater kids. The theater kids. Yeah. Notice I didn't say geeks. I didn't say nerds. I didn't say weirdos. I just said kids. Theater kids. Theater kids, so you, the, they were like uh, the writers, the drama kids, the actors, the singers. Yep. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. And how did you get, so did you mix with the other groups? Did you mix with the, with the nerds, with the assholes, with the, you know? Uh, or you pretty much I, a theater kid? I, I, I had some friends, I think, in school. Um, I think my friend Monica listens to this. Hi, Monica. Uh, um, it's um, that cake that killed me. You uh, missed it. I had some friends. I went to a very um, um, let's just say I didn't move back to my hometown as nice as it is. It just it's it was a very sort of a lot of preppies in my school. Didn't I know. Quite, didn't quite fit into that crowd. No. Right. Uh, people would come into my house. We had lots of books and they would say things like, oh, is this an extension of the Summit Public Library? <laughs> oh, God. Wait a minute. What was the name of your high school? Summit High School. Oh, well, that's well known. It was a pretty strong point. Sure. Yeah. yeah. 
I, yeah, I'm surprised you came out alive. Um, I still have my copy of the influence. I was very grateful to Lisa Burnback, your friend, for the preppy handbook because I got I was like I got one of the first copies and I was able to read up on it. I could still quote it. Real, you know what? You should be on Lisa Burnback's podcast and po and Lisa, and Lisa Burnback should be on your podcast. She loves to cook. Oh my gosh, I would love to have her on and I can say that I yes. still every time I put on jewelry I say Think of the line from the preppy handbook that went, put on all of your jewelry and then take off one piece. Is that Lisa? That's Birnbach? That's from the preppy handbook, How to Get Dressed. Well, her father, of course, uh, is one of the great, uh, uh, great men in uh, Jewish history because he has the number two passport in Israel after Begin, I think. He's number two because he's the man who came to the United States not even speaking English and raised all the money to form, help form the state of Israel. That's Lisa Birnbach's father and who went into the jewelry business, which is the point of my story. So, so Lisa is very, very good at uh, getting rules about jewelry. But her father uh, let me tell you, one of the great Jews of all time. No, I had no idea. There you go. Right. Um, yeah, you got to do each other's podcasts. Happily. Oh, my gosh. I, I will reread the, well, she's just brilliant anyway. Um, she is. I feel like I've known her a long time because of that book. I do, too. I think you guys should get along great. Just, an, I want to wind up with one issue. What do you mean? We're just getting started. What do you mean, wind up? <laughs> what are you talking about? I have to drive to Altoona, Pennsylvania. Um, wait, wait. Oh, 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 right, right. Okay. As long sort of troubled me as a female and something that me in my <laughs> whatever age I am right now. 30s. Yeah, my, yeah, that's it. 30s plus. Um, I'm still struggling with. It's something that as a professor, I, um, when I'm teaching kids, I always, especially, well, when I'm teaching women, I always say the same thing, which is, I notice that they're saying sorry all the time, that women oh. say sorry, and that we apologize for everything. And if I had the chance to cancel something, you know, it's all about cancel culture. My cancel culture dream is to cancel the female apology. Why do we feel oh, that's great. Why do we feel the need to apologize all the time? Well, I mean, well, it, it goes back, as you know, about 70 or 80,000 years. <laughs> but, but because we're physically less strong and because males tend to doubt. But I have a solution for that. Every time you start to say, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. when you say I and you catch yourself, just say the words, I am a genius. Or I am brilliant. Or I really did a good job on that. You know, just switch it in your brain, switch it. And the effect is astonishing. People go, <gasps> it's very unusual for a woman to say, to hear a woman say, I'm a genius. Women just don't do that. And we got to start doing that. Kathy Griffin, who's been on your podcast, will do it. 
Kathy Griffin will say, she is, uh, she is not adverse to ringing her bell because she understands that's how you rise to power. I mean, and she became, uh, I think I listened to your podcast, she has more stand-up specials than any comedian in the history of the world. She has an Emmy and a Grammy, two Emmys yep. and a Grammy. Because she is not afraid to say, I'm a genius at this. And she makes fun of herself for saying that, you know, right? Absolutely. I mean, I don't think, I think there's a... Uh... You want her here, Fran, uh, Fran uh, Kathy said it, I'm sorry. No, Kathy would never say that. I just, uh, I find that it comes way too naturally to women. Did you ask Mary Trump that? No, I didn't. I should ask her. Well, she, she's the one who knows everything. I, I, she's not another, she's not a woman who would say I'm sorry either. Well, neither are you. I have to totally wean it out of my system. I am a, I'm an I'm sorry a person. I mean, there are times of obviously it's appropriate to say I'm sorry, like, you know, if you run over someone's toe. But other than that, um, well, I, I find it really disheartening in my students when, They'll say, they'll oh, say, you got it. You just got to say, change the we have, If there's a, 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 a boy in the class and a girl in the class who want to speak, or a man and a woman in the class who want to speak, if they both speak at the same time, 10 times out of 10, the female will say, I'm sorry, you go first. Ah! However, if you fuck up, if you're a woman who fucks up, then you've got to, when you apologize, do it big time. When you bow, bow, I am sorry, I totally screwed that up. Oh my God. The, yeah. There's a right time to apologize yeah. it's not all the time. Totally. I apologize for not jumping through my screen and eating that cake. And I apologize that we can't do this for hours and hours and hours on end. But that's a real apology, and I mean it. There we go. Okay. Um, Eugene, thank, thank you so much for How this. How much room do you have in your fr freezer for that? I have just enough room for this. Well, why don't you not freeze the whole thing, but just freeze half of it? And then, you know, you can take the other quarter to your, one of your neighbors, and then your family can have the other quarter. Oh, that. Oh, what's okay. that? Sprinkles on for color. Oh, my God. I think only freeze half of it, don't you? I'll make you, um, I, I, I freeze only half of it. And then you can have half and yeah. you can cut it into slices. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. All right. So we got that problem. Figured. That problem has been solved. So what are, as we move on in life, we're not going to be saying I'm sorry to anybody. No. Um, any other top tips for everybody as we uh, face a, a fresh new beginning with Mr. Yeah, lighten up, lighten up, folks. That's it. You're alive. As long as you're alive and you're breathing, it's going to, as long as you're alive, that's the key. That's it. Lighten up. Lighten up. Okay. All right. Words to live by. Um, Thank you, Marissa. <laughs> Thank you, Ms. Eugene Carroll. I send you large kisses. I hope you enjoy The Secret Life of Cookies. A big thank you to E. Jean for, well, being her wonderful self and joining me in the kitchen today. 
My recipe for E. Jean's birthday cake can be found on my website at marissarothkopf.com. Please follow me on Twitter at Marissa Rothkopf. And if you will be so kind, please subscribe and leave a review in the Apple Store. Stay safe and talk to you again next week.